Wonderful, wonderful morning, everybody. Really good uh, to see you, to be here on Kinderburger Sunday. I think we should name it that for sure. Well done, Neville. I dare you all to go down to Mackey D's and order a double Kinderburger with chips. Oh, Jesus. I mean, who, who was Kinderberger? Somebody will find out and tell us. But uh, well done there. Brilliant. And welcome to you if you're uh, new especially or you're connecting with us for the first time. I hope that our welcome is slightly more effective than the shop that I literally passed about 10 minutes ago as I was walking down to, um, to church this morning. And uh, in the window, all I could see was this welcome sign. It said, COVID-19, welcome. I thought... <laughs> Okay, it's an interesting approach to take, uh, but it's great that if you are joining us. Um, I, I um, was reminded this week of a great story where obedient faith meets or attracts the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit and great kingdom things happen. It happened 100 years ago, but uh, the Perkins, Jesse and John Perkins, were a couple who felt that God was calling them in a particular way, and they got on a steamship that was circling the coast of Liberia off West Africa. And they knew that God had led them to Africa, but they didn't know exactly where, and they weren't sure where to get off. But they, they bought a ticket anyway and got on the boat, confident that God would show them um, where to get off. Uh, and as they rounded somewhere called Garraway Point, they sensed that this was the, uh, the Holy Spirit's leading, and that was the moment that they had to get off this steamship. And they had no idea that at that same time, uh, a young man called Jasper Toe, who uh, lived in the region, he was a God-fearing man, but he had never heard of uh, Jesus Christ. And one night, he was looking up into the stars, dissatisfied, and in his, in his own way, he prayed. He said, God, if you're there, will you help me to find you? And that very night, he had this sense of God saying to him, well, if you go to Garraway Point, uh, you will see a box on the water with smoke coming out of it. And from that box on the water will come some people in a smaller box, and those people in the small box will tell you how to find me. And you can see where this is going. One or two of you'd know the story. So Jasper, he, it took him seven days to walk to the beach. And when he arrived there, he arrived there at exactly the moment that on the ship, the Perkins were sensing that God was telling them to get off. And the captain was saying, no, no, you shouldn't get off here. It's not a great place to get off. But they got off anyway. They got into, off the big box with the smoke, the steamship. They got into the little box, the canoe, got to the beach, met up with uh, this guy who had been seeking God. And Jasper Toe became, of course, the first person that they led to, to faith in Jesus, and they began a church there. And the legacy of that encounter is that many, many, many churches uh, were founded by that man and that ministry. I know you absolutely love that. When obedient faith attracts the power and the presence and the dynamism of the Holy Spirit of God, and kingdom things happen. A couple of thousand years before that, Another true story would that God would grow in us this kind of faith. Acts 10. I'm going to read a few verses from Acts 10 and just uh, say a few things. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. And he and all his family were devout and they were God-fearing. And he gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision and he distinctly saw an angel of God who said, uh, who said to him, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He said. And the angel answered, your prayers, your gifts to the poor, they've come up as a memorial offering before God now. Send some men to Joppa to bring back a man called Simon, who's called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Very neat instructions. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. Verse 9, about noon the following day, as these men were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on his roof to pray. 
And you'll be familiar with the rest of the story, which we haven't got time to read, or many of you will, where Peter, Jewish fisherman turned disciple, has this vision as well of being approached by some people that he needs to go with, and he scandalously ends up then encountering the Roman non-Jewish soldier in a different city a long way away, Cornelius, and here is obedient faith attracting the power and the presence and the dunamis of the Holy Spirit and amazing kingdom things happen and the door of, of salvation, if you like, the door of the good news of the gospel gets flung wide open in that moment to not just the, the, those of Jewish tradition but to the whole world effectively, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every race, every skin color, every educational background. To some extent, the reason that you and I are sitting in this building or watching online today kind of finds its roots in that amazing moment. I'm sure God would have found a different way. But don't you find that extraordinary? And here's the thing, friends. Both true stories. But where did they, where did they start? It won't have escaped your notice that it all began. It was all birthed on the human end of things in prayer. The Perkins were praying. Jasper, in his way, was praying. Cornelius, verse 2, prayed to God regularly to the extent that he knew him without yet knowing Jesus. Acts 10, verse 9, Peter went up on the roof to pray. All of them had this desire, this yearning to connect with something beyond themselves, to connect with the living God, not to, to do life just giving the best of themselves that they could under their own best efforts but to seek God's outcome, to seek God's impact, to be informed by God's will, to make godly decisions, to, 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 to move in godly directions, to find God's solution, not just in their own lives, but in the world around them. And I know I'm saying something that we've said a hundred times, but friends, we have to just get, a, get our, our hearts in that place again and again and again. Is that your yearning to do life in that way? not under your own best efforts, but continually seeking God's best for you and through you for this world. It seems to me that one of the effects of the pandemic or times of pressure, pandemic being one of them, is it magnifies things, doesn't it? And it, and it polarizes things. And on the one hand, in many ways, there are, there is, this is the great times of pressure do give the greatest opportunity for change. Change in us, change through us, change in the world. It's just the history of the world. It's how it works, how God works through trial, challenge, test. The greatest opportunities lie there for change if we'll grab them. At the same time, times of pressure do exactly the opposite. They are that time where we want to, or part of us wants to withdraw, to step back, to shrink back, to, to furlough in faith, to use a, a great phrase that David's just used, to switch off, to fall asleep, to get dozy, to find escape in, in comfort and convenience, whatever that might look like for us. Simon Gilbo was speaking powerfully about this a, a month ago. If you missed it, please, uh, please connect with that message, not to, to beat us up, just to recognize this is what happens in normal times, let alone times like this. Fantastic opportunity on the one hand, because God does his best work in times of difficulty, if we're up for it. But equally, we switch off, we get dozy, we withdraw, we pull back and so on. It's a massive, massive battleground. How are we going to help ourselves step in and on rather than back and away? How are you doing that right now? 
What are your practices? What are your habits? What does your daily life look like? What are your, what's your decision-making look like that enables you to do that? You'll know if you've been around. I'm not going to go over the last two or three Sundays so, so much. But you know that one of the answers to that, there's lots of answers to that. One of them is to look precisely at our habits. It's to look at our practices. It's to look at the way that we do life. Because we all have ways of doing things. We'd call it a rule of life, wouldn't we? It's what we're calling it, uh, picking up an ancient phrase. This rule of life. The government has got its new rule of six. It's not very attractive. God is revitalizing a rule of life. It's an old tradition, but we're, he, he's, he's imparting fresh energy to it, I believe, in this church and in many others. An intentional, conscious plan. Some of us love that word. Some of us hate it, but we need it. Fail to plan, you plan to fail. An intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do, this rule of life. Just talking about the practices, the scaffolding, the structures. It's not about doing more and trying harder. It's not about rules that uh, trap us in that cycle of guilt and failure because we can't keep them. It's nothing to do with that. Just referring to the rhythms, the habits that are far from imprisoning us actually liberate us. That's the whole point. If they're not freeing us, then something's wrong. So we're asking ourselves, so what does it look like? We're examining, we're putting that stuff under the microscope. We're doing that together. We're doing it individually. We're saying, how can we help each other in where we've got to so far? We're all starting in different places. By the way, this, look, this works out differently in different people. Of course it does. Although there are some core practices that Jesus modeled that we need to pay attention to, but how they express themselves will look different. But we've got to help each other. We have to help each other do this. Hebrews 10, encourage one another, stir one another up, Hebrews 10 says. Stir one another up. Are you doing that? Who are you stirring up at the moment? In love and good works, says that verse, in more of God in your life so that our lives are more God-shaped. So under that first big banner, there's these four areas that we're, we're, we're looking at this term, prayer and scripture, rest, relationships, work and service, as in the trailer, that under this prayer scripture banner, uh, on Sundays here, in life groups, in connect groups, in youth, in kids, on our own, the encouragement is to really focus on this and ask, be asking God, so, so what's the next step for me? This is where I've got to. This is what it looks like. Lord, how, do you, how, how, how are you calling me to adjust what, what I'm doing on uh, my rhythms, my practices, my habits? What, what's, what's my plan? How are you developing it? How can I improve that plan so that I position myself more, more effectively with God to be an obedient, faithful servant who attracts the power and the dunamis of the Holy Spirit and kingdom things happen. The Bible and prayer, somebody said this last week, are like food and air. Without either, you die. Literally, spiritually, you die. Without Bible and the prayer. Bibles that are falling apart are usually read by people who aren't. I'm going to spare you too many of the, the kind of fridge magnets, cliche type thing. But why are they cliches? Because they're true. Because they're true, I'll just read one more actually. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth, I was reminded of this. In his Bible, um, I saw a a photograph of it this week, it's on somebody's Twitter. The Bible doesn't contain the Word of God, it is the Word of God. Supernatural in origin, eternal in duration, inexpressible in valor, infinite in scope, regenerative in power, infallible in authority, universal in in interest, personal in application, inspired in totality, Wigglesworth says this characteristically with this kind of, you can hear him say it. Read it through, write it down, pray it in, work it out, and pass it on. And we say, amen, amen, amen. How could we even conceive of doing life 
without regular nourishment from God's Word, the Word of God. And David spoke inspiringly about this last week, so I'm going to leave it there. If you didn't see that message, make sure you, you connect with it, this, this, this backpack of stuff, kit that we've got. Are we equipped for life? What's in it? Where are we getting the stuff that we use to deal with life? And is the, where's, where's the Bible's place in that? Are we just turning to, to other things? I'm going to switch to the other side of the same coin, which is prayer. They're inseparable. They belong together. Food and air, prayer and Bible together. Just one phrase from Acts 10, and we're just going to dwell just for a few short minutes, really practically on this. Verse 9, Acts 10, about noon, Peter went up onto the roof to pray. You can picture the scene, a little bit of cultural translation required. Obviously, we don't tend to have flat roofs these days or necessarily the weather to enjoy them as a, as a kind of extra space in our homes in the way that they did in that culture. But clearly, that, that's a, a common thing for them to do, to go up onto the roof. We know, by the way, this roof, the roof of this building needs some, some attention. Rooftop attention, rooftop prayer. What attention does your prayer, your rooftop praying need is the question today. And it's for you to answer that, not for me to answer that, but I'm just going to mention four things. They're, they're practical, they're obvious, but let's hear them again. For Peter, this was, this, this practice, he went up onto the roof to pay. It was clearly a place that he chose. It's a chosen place. He could have stayed inside, presumably, he could have gone anywhere else. Why did he choose the roof? Well, we're not told, but it seems a fair guess that he wanted some quiet and he wanted some space. And he wanted to be away from others. Why? Place matters. Space matters. Quiet matters. We know this from the life of Jesus. And we can all choose that. Jesus traveled around a fair bit. But again and again, you're, you're, you're reading in the scriptures, he chose this place. He went onto a mountainside to pray. He withdrew from the crowd. He went to the side of the lake to pray. Peter goes up onto the roof to pray. I love that we don't know whether Jesus was introvert or extrovert, by the way. I love that we don't know that. But actually, it makes absolutely no difference because everybody needs to be able to withdraw to a quiet place to be with the Father because that's what Jesus did. And that'll look different for different people. Bill Hybels tells a brilliant story. It's on YouTube. It's called Coffee with God about a man for whom the, the, his chosen place was a rocking chair. And, and there's this brilliant testament. I haven't got time. Get, go on YouTube and find it. The rocking chair, Coffee with God, it's called. That was the chosen place for that man where he most connected with, with the Father and it changed his life. You remember Hey Wu. Little Hei Wu standing here about two years ago, a woman from North Korea. She was in prison for her faith, spent time in North Korea. Her chosen, she didn't have too many options in a prison in North Korea, but her chosen place was the women's toilet. It was the one place where she could go, where she could find a little bit of space, a little bit of quiet to be alone with Father God. My own chosen uh, place is, is probably various loops of the parks and fields of North Cheltenham again and again and again. It's, it's particularly in lockdown, but it's something, it's just that they're well-worn paths. That, that's part of my place. For others, it's kneeling by a bedside. It doesn't really matter as long as you choose it. It's a chosen place. Sure, we can connect with, with God anywhere, anytime, and we need to. That matters, and I'll come to that. It's part of a rhythm that really, really helps. So Peter on the roof, a chosen place. Second, a regular practice. First uh, verse of that, first uh, part of that verse, about noon. About noon. Again, strong likelihood, not told here, but strong likelihood from what we read elsewhere, this wasn't a random time. It was a set time. It was a regular time. It was part of his regular practice. It was his, part of his rule of life, if you like. In my own history, I, I, I felt I was brought up in a tradition where this was slightly tyrannical, and um, it became a religious kind of burden for me, the whole kind of time, quiet time, you know, particular place, particular time, and all of that. And I, I, 
in part of my own liberation, my pendulum probably swung over the years more towards um, a, a, a more careless attitude. I've had to swing back. For others, that might be your legalism, might be your issue like that, and it's, it, it all feels a bit religious and dutiful. For others, it'll be what I call license. For others, it will be, oh, well, I'm so free that it doesn't really matter when or where or how I connect, and, or, or even if I connect. Well, being carefree and careless in that way uh, about prayer, about Bible reading, it's not going to help. We need a regular practice. The Bible's very clear. Again, Jesus' model, very obvious. Of course, there's the beauty uh, and privilege of connecting with, with the Father through the Holy Spirit wherever we are, of course, and, and we need to cultivate that, cultivate the practice of the presence of God, of course. But in terms of a regular practice, a regular time, a devoted time, it helps everybody if that's you know, something that we plan. Where are you at with that? What does that look like for you each day? What are you setting aside? How are you guarding that? Unless there's a really good reason, by the way, I'm going to say I think the morning is best for the clear majority of people. Just as you, as you set yourself for the day ahead and align your heart with God. Have a Bible, have a notebook to hand, have some help to hand. Again, unashamedly, I'm going to plug Hills's book. I'm a proud husband at the moment. Don't get to do this very often. But things like this, devotional books, there's so much resource and help out there to help us to connect with God. Not, don't have to use anything, but something like this, which is daily, which contributes to the sense of regularity, regular practice, a daily Bible passage, some, some brilliant wisdom from Hills, then some key questions to ponder, to pray, to connect with God through. But that will change your life, not least because this book is about identity. It's about who we are or who you are as women. It's for women, unfortunately. The men's version's not yet out. Encourage me. Um, to, uh, and to, to connect with the Lord, to know who he is, to know who we are. So, uh, of course, there's, there's lots of others, but I want to commend that resource to you. It's at the back. Hills has got a card machine, by the way. It's all COVID-friendly back there, uh, as well as her website. I've never known a time, you know, in my life where I have felt more the need to actively, intentionally press into God because so much is pointing the other way. There's so much pressure the other way. I cannot think of a time in my life like this. And the pressure is massive, and I'm not saying I'm winning that battle all of the time. It's why we need each other. It is a huge battleground, huge. Friends, we have, to, we have to encourage each other. I feel so weak in my spirit so often. I'm so grateful for all the things that God sends by way of encouragement. Books and devotionals and podcasts and worship songs and journaling. Write stuff down. One of my great discoveries kind of 10, 15 years ago, I wish I'd started journaling earlier as part of my rhythm of life, my rule of life. Journaling plays a key part for me now. How about you? Blogs, friends, group fellowship, prophetic words, and so on and so on. And by the way, holding one another to this in an encouraging, loving kind of a way. I love the African story where those who came to faith in early days were earnest about this and their rule of life and devotions. And each would tend to have a place in the bush nearby that would be their private place, their regular place of practice. So eventually, over the course of time, these paths would be evident, be visible, going off to that particular person's place of prayer. And they developed a little phrase to kind of encourage and, and, and stir, spur one another on when they sensed that a brother or sister was um, maybe not being quite so diligent. Brother, sister, the grass is growing on your path. Came a phrase, brother, sister, the grass is growing on your path. In other words, come on, let's do this together. I know that it's tough, but we have to keep going. We have to do it. Why? Third, better perspective, a chosen place, a regular practice, a better perspective. A rooftop, of course, by definition, gives a better perspective on what's around. That's why we love Cleve Hill or, or whatever, looking down on things. You get a sense of 
of what's going on. But it's not just about views and preferences. We act out of our perspectives, don't we? We act out of our perspectives. How we see, what we see, it shapes then what we do and how we, how we live out in the world. So not surprising then that this is the biggest battle. All spiritual warfare happens here. The opposition that the enemy throws us at us happens here. He's the father of lies. His biggest weapon is deception. He wants to, to remove us from proximity to the father of lights. So what does he want to do? He wants to stuff our mind with anything or everything that is not God's truth. I know it's totally obvious to say, but are, are we immersing ourselves in that? Again, David was brilliant on this last week. The, what is it? If, if, if this is my mind, this is the battleground, and, it, and, and the, the entry point to it is my eyes and my ears. Well, what am I allowing through my eyes and my ears? How do, in terms of quantity and quality, how does that stack up with the amount of God's truth I'm um, allowing in? The pondering, the praying, the, the Bible reading, the, the so on. In, in, and the reason why I think it's a bigger battle than ever before, quite simply because there's so much opinion, information, bombardment from a world out there. The seductive, demonic seductions, I would say, of, of social media, of opinions, of ability to connect, lobby in your opinion, etc., etc., all of that. You feed what you want to see grow. You starve what you want to see shrink. I'll say it again. You feed what you want to see grow. You starve what you want to see shrink. How does that relate to input into your mind at this time? And how does that then inform your God-nudged plan, habits, rule of life, and so on? What needs to change? What needs to alter? Where does the, where's the balance got out? Last one, it's a source of power. It's a chosen place for Peter. He goes up to, on the roof to pray. It's a chosen place. He chooses it carefully. It's a regular practice, regular intentional. So it gives a much better perspective. It helps to foster perspective. And obviously, it's a source of incredible power. Again, haven't got time to retell the story. You might say, well, what happens in Acts 10 is off the charts power. That's off the, off the scale ridiculous. That doesn't happen in my life. Fine. But from big to small, everything is birthed in prayer. And all points in between. From big to small, whether it's the big cataclysmic, extraordinary dynamite act of God, like that one, or whether it's the, the Brother Lawrence sweeping you know, in the monastery. Remember, it's the best-selling book, I think, apart from the Bible ever. Practicing the presence of God, little acts, little connections, just beginning to cultivate that way of breathing in the Holy Spirit and being conscious of his presence through the day. From that to that, prayer changes everything. It's where God's power resides. It's how he's set it up to be. Don't ask me why, but that's how he's set it up to be. He has. Prayer is not conquering God's reluctance. It's taking hold of God's willingness. Somebody said, I love that. How about the Bible? This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Prayer matters because prayer is powerful. So prayer about everything again and again and again. David inquired of the Lord. Love that. Again and again. Every situation in life. His Psalms are full of it, aren't they? Every situation conceivable. Bring it to God in prayer. Is that what you're doing? Is that what you're cultivating? Is that part of your ambition in this time? That, that more and more of your life and your decisions and your days will be saturated by an awareness of God connected through prayer. I think the message of any, any talk like this, or about the Bible for that matter, is, is always obvious. It's just do it. <laughs> it's just do it. We could refine that a bit. We could say pray more confidently or pray longer or louder or quieter or you know, pray in tongues or pray you know, whatever, whatever, pray deep. Pray with your children, pray alone, pray together, pray quietly. There's no right or wrong way. The point is to pray. The point is to connect. It just is. And get some help from each other, from books, from resources. 
John Bunyan, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. And the biggest tragedy of many Christian lives is this, the prayers that were never answered because they were never asked. Prayer changes the world, changes my world, changes my inner world, first of all, changes things around me. It changes the world because that's how God has set it up to be. So friends, we need to make some decisions. There are five frogs sitting on a, on a log and one of them decided to jump off. How many were left on the log? Five. Because deciding is not the same as acting. We need to make some decisions, but then we need to make, put them into, into action in a plan. So let's keep working at this. Let's keep encouraging for our own sakes, for uh, the sake of those around us and for the glory of God. Amen.